our building project. I know many of you have been wondering what's going on with our new facility, our new building. So I want to give you a little update. I want to give you some direction. As, as many of you know, uh, we were able to purchase a piece of property at 659 Carpenter Avenue in Mooresville, North Carolina. So if you know where Barcelona Burger is, it's, it's kind of a couple blocks behind Barcelona. And because of the church's faithful giving, because of us stewarding uh, the sale of our church land well, we were able to put down 25% on this new church property. That's something to be excited about. That's something to, to celebrate. Thank you. Um, we were also able to pay nearly 70% of our new AVL equipment to make sure that we have a, a quality service. But, but our goal, Matt Hudson just texted me. He's watching <laughs> the service. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm, now I'm going to put my phone down. There you go. <laughs> but, but listen, in order for us to accomplish our goal, uh, there's a few things that we need to do as a church. You ask, what's our goal? Our goal is to be in our new facility by Easter of next year. So our goal is to be in the new facility by the end of March. That's our goal. How do we reach that goal? It takes you and I doing our part. The first thing that we can do as a church is to continue to tithe. Scripture is very clear that we're called to give 10% of everything that we make to the local church. So continue to tithe. And the second thing that we can do is to prepare to give above and beyond our tithe to our miracle offering. Every year at the end of the year, we come together as a church and we give our miracle offering to further the expansion of God's kingdom. And this year it's going directly to the church building. So prepare to give that offering uh, December the 3rd. I'll give you some more information about that next week as well. So I don't know about you, but for me, I want the fullness of God in every area of my life. Anybody else, you want the fullness? I, I, listen, I'm going to pause here. First service was very interactive. First service, we had a good time. I got, I got Matt nodding his head a little bit. I need some more head nods. I need some more interaction, all right? So how many of you want the fullness of God in every, every area of your life? There you go. I got, I got some excitement now. I love it. I want the fullness of God in my personal relationship with him. I want the fullness of God in my marriage. I want the fullness of God for my kids. I want the fullness of God for my friendships. I want the fullness of God for our church as a whole. I want all that God has for me. In fact, we've been having these conversations in our Bible study on Thursday morning with a group of guys. We have anywhere from 15 to 18 guys get together every single Thursday morning. And, and we've been walking through this book called The God I Never Knew. And we're taking a look at the Holy Spirit. And what we've talked about is this. We, we want the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our life. Brian, there have been some good conversations They've been some hard conversations. They've been some challenging and, and stretching conversations. And, and any time I talk or, or think about the Holy Spirit, it causes me to think about revivals that have happened. Anybody ever been to an old school tent revival? I got, I got a couple hands going up. Like you, you've seen the manifestation of the Holy Spirit and you've seen revival. And, and I want to read us a true story about a revival that happened. And it goes like this. Revival had hit. After decades of spiritual lethargy, which led many people leaving, living in brokenness and captivity, the fire and power of God had hit a city. 
There was a special anointing upon a particular man of God. He was an author and a teacher whose voice was being heard throughout an entire nation. Story goes on that people were flooding back to the house of God. Worship services were packed and overflowing with joy and exuberance. There was repentance, cleansing, and a fresh anointing on worship leaders as they led the people. In the past, God had been relegated to the fringes of society at best, or in other cases, banished altogether. Now, worship was being restored to its central place in the life of God's people. The word of God was central to all teaching. The Lord had rekindled a powerful prophetic ministry operating in the flow of heaven, fueling the vision of the leaders and bringing prosperity to the people of God. Finances were prospering as tithe and offering were pouring in from God's people and outside entities were writing almost limitless checks to fund and build ministries. People were running to the altars. New leaders were being raised up and were stepping into a position of spiritual leadership and great influence. There was a move of prayer and fasting and, and people were seeking the Lord with great hunger and fervor with a special emphasis on the next generation. Marriages and families were being touched and the revival that had begun in the worship services were now impacting the home. Now, if you've experienced revival before, maybe you're trying to connect some dots to figure out which one it was, but let me continue to read. There was another spiritual leader who hadn't made it to the revival yet. He was still in another city, and he had sent for word to hear how things were going, and the report came back. He heard that the churches were full. His response was this. He wept, and he mourned. He did this for days. His heart was so broken that his grief led him to begin praying and fasting. What happened to cause his reaction? Because he heard that the church was full. He heard that the presence of God was, was leaving the church and, and was in the household. But, but why was he mourning? Why was he crying? Why was he praying? Why was he fasting? What happened to cause this reaction? Did the leader of the revival have a moral failure? Were there manifestations that have gotten out of control? Was there someone stirring up division inside the church? In fact, it was none of these things. Miss Kay, we can read about this story in Ezra chapter 6 through chapter 10. The revival that took place was a revival that happened in Jerusalem around 470 BC when the temple was being rebuilt and the people of God were leaving the captivity of Babylon and moving back to Jerusalem. And what we know about this scripture is that Ezra was leading the revival. The prophet Ezra was leading the revival. And Nehemiah was the prophet that was back in Babylon. And, and Nehemiah says, hey, Ezra, how's it going in Jerusalem? And, and Ezra responds, things are great inside the church. Things are great inside the household. But, but why was Nehemiah in agony and in pain? We find it in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3. And it reads like this. The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates have been destroyed. Why was Nehemiah so heartbroken? It's because Ezra was giving this report that everything was going good inside the church, but the city walls were still broken down. 
Let me put it in our context. Everything could be going well inside the church. We could have a phenomenal worship experience. You could connect with the power and the presence of God here today, and we could go back to our homes, and we could connect with the power and the presence of God inside of our homes Sunday afternoon. But if we don't take that power and that presence to the gates of the city, then we've missed the mark. If we don't take the power and the presence of God to the local, the hurting, the broken, and into our community, then we've missed the mark. It's not just about experiencing a relationship with God on Sunday morning inside the church, but taking the fire and the passion of God to the gates of the city. If we're not careful, if we don't take, if we don't take these experiences If we don't take the fire of the church to the gates of our community, then all we are are spiritual narcissists. And we can be so consumed with having a relationship with Jesus that we forget the rest of the gospel message. It's not just enough to have a relationship with Jesus. It's about going to the hurting and broken and and the marginalized and reaching out to them that we may take the hope that we've received to the hopeless. And if we don't do that, all we are are spiritual narcissists. I'm going to take care of me, myself, and I, and everybody else can figure it out on their own. That's what was breaking Nehemiah's heart. You want to know what keeps pastors up at night? You want to know what keeps this pastor up at night? It's this. I don't want people to say that they have encountered God on Sunday morning and leave it at Sunday morning. I don't want people to to sit in church and say, I had a phenomenal worship experience on Sunday morning and have to feel that they have to wait until next Sunday to have a similar experience and go through their day-to-day, their Monday through Friday, their work life and act as if they can't experience God in those areas. You want to know what else keeps me up at night? I don't want someone to be emotionally moved during a worship service and it stay inside the worship service. I don't want life-giving, life-challenging, life-altering conversations to happen here on Sunday morning and they not be whispered about Monday through Friday. Brian, one thing that I love about our Bible study is that our Bible study is starting to to seep out of of Thursday morning. And I I said this in first service, Brian King, they, they have a phenomenal group, men's group that meets on Mondays. We have a phenomenal group that meets on Thursdays, and I told Brian King this. I said, hey, Brian, I know all of you are seasoned individuals. I I know that y'all are well, like they they got some decades on us, right? So I told them that we have this thing called a group text message. And so I told them that, and and Ernie got loud in the back. He was like, we do too. And I was like, yeah, but ours is all blue. Y'all's has green in it. Some of y'all will get that analogy. They had no idea what I was talking about. No green bubbles. bubbles. We, We pray against green bubbles. But I told him what I love about our our Bible study is that we have these meaningful conversations on Thursday, but I know you are having conversations with people on the side outside of Thursday. I I know what our group text looks like during the week. I think this past week alone, we had four or five people just kind of pop in a message and say, hey, could you pray for this situation? Can we, I want to talk deeper about this situation. And and we begin to, we begin to let that seep out of just a Thursday morning. We can't allow our experiences and our encounters with Jesus to be confined to that singular experience. 
Why? Because we're called to take those experience, experiences to the lost and to the broken. The fire of the altar must reach the gates of the city. Our experiences with the Holy Spirit must reach the community in which we live. We see it in the Bible. It's the altar and the gates. It's Ezra and Nehemiah. It's revival and renewal. It's the church. It's the local church and the city in which we live. See, revival in and of itself is for the people of God. But renewal is for the areas in which we live. Shame on us if we experience revival and not renew the city. Again, that's what was breaking Nehemiah's heart. He's saying, hey, that's, that's good that you're experiencing God inside of church, inside of a service. But when you open the doors, when you look outside, the city gates and the city walls are still in ruin. And we can experience God in this service, but you open it up. You open up the door and you look at the educational system and you go, woo. You look at how people conduct business and you're like, woo, I don't know about that. You look, you, you, look at, you, you look at how the government is ran. And I'm not, I'm not saying what government. I'm just saying, like, you look, at, you look at stuff that's going on across the globe. And you're like, oh, my goodness. Let me shut the door, right? <laughs> let, let, me, let me hang out inside the church because I feel good inside the church. I feel comfortable inside. The, I experience God inside the church. Again, we sound like spiritual narcissists. Power and the presence of God is not confined to the four walls of a church. That's what was breaking Nehemiah's heart. I believe with all my heart that God has something in store, not just for the global church, but specifically for Multiply Church. I believe that the power and the presence of God wants us to experience a spiritual depth that we could release it to our local communities. Brian, I don't think it's a mistake that we're having, I'm going to pick on you all service. I don't, I don't think it's a mistake that we're having some of the conversations that we are on Thursday mornings. But shame on us if they stay, shame on us, one, if they stay in Thursday mornings. Shame on us if those conversations only stay inside of our men's group. What would it look like for you to take that to your workplace? What would it look like for those conversations to begin to, to leak out? Anwar, could you imagine you going to work? And I know where you work, and it's a, it's a large, global, corporate company. Could you imagine having some of those spiritual conversations sitting at your desk or on a Zoom call? Because you work from home a lot. You back in the office yet? You're back in the office? All right, just making sure. You've worked from home for like three years. I didn't know. But could you, could you imagine that? It'd be a, little, be a little different, be a little weird. Matt, I know who you work for. Large company. Could you imagine having the conversations that you had inside church on a Sunday morning about the Holy Spirit inside the workplace? It might change things. It might shift things. The atmosphere, we'll talk about that in a second. The atmosphere might change a bit. So therefore, we have to be serious about the altar. We have to be serious about our spiritual depth, but it can't stay inside the confines of the church. Think all the way back to January. Our word of the year this year was altered. One thing that we do every single year is we release kind of our word of the year that, that our church is going to live out of for the next year. This year it's altered. Next year's word is, I'll tell you at the beginning of the year, but we already have it. But let me backtrack to the beginning of the year. The purpose 
of the altar is the fire of God. We said this in one of our services at the beginning of the year. You can't experience the altar and leave unaltered. When you experience the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, by the way, the Holy Spirit, we've been talking about this, the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not a thing. The Holy Spirit is a person. And when you experience the Holy Spirit in your life, when you have a tangible experience of the Holy Spirit in your life, you cannot go back. Your your life is not just the same. You can't experience the altar and leave unaltered. What I know is, is this. The purpose of the altar is the fire of God. And as a church, we don't need more bells and whistles. We don't need more creative programs. All we need is the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. I don't want more flashing lights or more fog. I want more of the Holy Spirit. Can we utilize those things? Absolutely. But that doesn't set the atmosphere. The Holy Spirit sets the atmosphere. I I told you I was going to start preaching on the Holy Spirit a little more. Y'all asked me this past Thursday. This sermon was already written. We need more of the Holy Spirit in our life. We need to understand who the Holy Spirit is so that we can take the very fire and power to the gates of the city. Now, remember back at the beginning of the year, the gates that we talked about are just areas of influence. What gate have you been entrusted to? Seven gates in our society that we identified. There's family, education, government, media, arts and entertainment, business and and health and wellness. Take a look at this list. Here's the simple way to think about it. Where's your profession? What profession do you work in? Some of you work in business. Some of you work in media. Some of you work in government. Some of you, your gate of influence is your family. What I know is this. None of us are exempt from this gate. We all have an impact in one, if not multiple. And again, think of this differently. It's not just a gate. It's your area of influence. It's the area that God has entrusted to you. Mackenzie, what do you do for work? You're a teacher. So what would your gate or your area of influence be? Education. What about the man sitting beside you? What does he do? Who's the man sitting beside you? Your future? <laughs> I, just wanted, I just wanted to see what you would say. Tyler, Tyler what is your... What, I know who Tyler is, by the way. I just wanted to embarrass her. Tyler. What is, your, what is your area of influence? What do you do for work? So what would your area of influence be? Probably business, right? Do you see how they connect? You, get to, you identify what your area of influence would be. That would be your gate. The question back to you would be this. Are you actively taking the power and fire of God to those gates, or are you keeping it confined to your Sunday morning experience because that's where it's safe? It's really easy to keep it in Sunday morning because it feels good. It's safe, and we get to check the box. We connected with God, so our spirit is full now. And then we act as if we have to wait until next Sunday to experience that again. We're not called to just experience it. We're called to carry it. We're called to carry it to our areas of influence. Let me make this kind of practical to you. Dakota uh, was here during first service and uh, he was sitting right over here. I told Dakota I was going to call him out, use him as a sermon illustration. <laughs> so 
Dakota works in an industry that has its hands in several different gates. It's the gate of entertainment. It's the gate of media. It's the gate of business. It, it touches multiple different areas. And, and several months ago, Dakota got ba- baptized here at Multiply Church. And he posted this picture on his social media page. And after he posted this picture, many of his colleagues took note and they, they started asking them questions. They say, Dakota, what, what was that about? What, what did that mean? He goes, man, I, I got baptized. Well, what does is, what is getting baptized mean? Well, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to publicly profess that I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And he works in an industry that, that like, yes, you can talk about Jesus, but, but the, the business and the entertainment and the dollar more often than not trump everything else. So he starts having this conversation. A couple months go by. A few weeks ago, he was on a work trip. He was having this conversation with some colleagues, and he was able to take some of his colleagues to the beach so that they could get baptized. That, that's what it means to take. Y'all can clap for it. That's what it means to take what happens inside the church to the gates of the city, to your areas of influence. I need everybody to take a big, deep breath. Because that was just my intro. <laughs> All right? So we're, I'm not, some of y'all looking around like, yeah, right. So, so let, me, let me give you the title of our message today. The title is this. It's the gatekeeper's anointing. The gatekeeper's anointing. I'm going to geek out a bit today. I'm going to dive into scripture now. I'm going to go through this scripture quickly. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you, go ahead and pull out your phones. Go ahead and pull your camera up. There's going to be a lot of scripture on the screen in the next 10 or 15 minutes. I want you to take pictures of it so that you can go back and read it later. I want you to fact check me, all right? And I want you to begin, again, I'm not here to spoon feed you. I'm here that you would learn to digest scripture and have a relationship with Jesus yourself. So go back and read some of these scriptures later. So this is what we know. What we know is we see gates all throughout the Bible. We see gates all throughout the Bible. Go ahead and take a picture of the screen. So where do we see gates in the Bible? We see gates in cities in 1 Kings 17. We see gates in houses in Luke 16 and Acts 12. We see gates at the temple in Acts chapter 3, verse 2. We see gates at palaces. We even see gates in prisons. We see gates at camps. We see gates at rivers. And we even see gates in Revelation chapter 21, verse 12, in the new heaven and new earth. All of this is found in scripture. That's where we find gates. There's many more references. This is just a few. But what happens at the gates in the city? We'll take a picture of this screen. Because the gates in the city are chief places of concourse in Proverbs 1.21. At the gates of the city, there's courts of justice that are held. Land is sold at the gates of the city. Land is redeemed in Ruth chapter 4 verse 1 at the gates of the city. Market is held at the gates of the city. Proclamations are made in Proverbs 121 at the gates of the city. Councils of state is held at the gates of the city. Conferences are held in Genesis 34:20 at the gates of the city. Gates of the city are also chief points of attack in war. We find that in Judges chapter 5, verse 8. Battering rams are used at the gates of the city in Ezekiel 21:22. What we know from a military standpoint throughout scripture is that officers, experienced officers, 
The highest experienced officer of the army are placed over the specific gate of the city. We see that in 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 17. Troops are reviewed before they go out to battle at the gates of the city in 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 4. Gates were often raised. Gates were burned down. And we see that again in Nehemiah 1.3. I just read that. Why was Nehemiah so distraught? Because the gates of the city had been burned and destroyed. They were torn down. We also see that idolatrous riots are performed at the gates of the city in Acts 14.13. One theologian writes this about gates. Gates are mentioned often in scripture. And gatekeepers were an important part of maintaining order in ancient societies. Gatekeepers were guards stationed for protection at various kinds of gates, which could be city gates, palace gates, or, or temple gates. Ancient cities had high, thick walls around them to keep out wild beasts and invading armies. Heavy gates were set within those walls to allow entrance and exit. A gatekeeper had to be trustworthy, had to be alert, and they had to notice any sign of trouble. A gatekeeper lax in his duty could bring ruin upon an entire civilization. So the idea of gatekeeping implies alertness and security. I mentioned the gates earlier. What, what gate are you called to be present in? It's not enough for you just to be present. It's not enough for you to have the job title. It's not enough for you just to hold the position. Are, are you aware and are you alert? Are you being secure in that gate or are you giving the enemy free reign? Because whatever the gatekeeper allows in will go in. Whatever the gatekeeper tells to stay out has to stay out. Are you manning a post and are you being lax about it? Or are you manning your post being alert? I'll, I'll, I'll keep going. I wrote it this way. Gatekeepers control what enters and exits. When the gatekeeper of the city do their jobs well, the city is blessed and operates in peace and prosperity. When the gatekeepers of the city fail, the city is continually under attack and in turmoil. Again, I just asked you to identify the gate that the Lord has placed you in. Tyler, I asked you what your area of influence was. Kenzie, I asked you what your area of influence was. What are you, now ask yourself this question. Are you controlling that gate for the kingdom of God or does the enemy have free reign? Again, it's not enough for us just to be stationed there. What would it look like if we brought our Sunday morning experience to the gate of the city? What would it look like if we brought everything that, that we encountered on Sunday morning, the power and the presence and the fullness of the Holy Spirit, to the areas of influence that God has placed us in? How would your workplace change? How would your family change? How would your relationships change? How would they be impacted? Again, I have a lot more scripture, so keep your phones out. Take some pictures and write these down so you can go back and read them later. Genesis chapter 22, verse 16 through 18. By myself I have sworn, this is the Lord's declaration. Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore, your offspring will what? Will possess the city gates of their enemies. 
And all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. You fast forward to Genesis 24, verse 60. They blessed Rebekah, saying to her, Our sister, may you become thousands upon ten thousands. May your offspring possess the city gates of their enemies. It's not just in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Here is what I tell you. You are Peter on this rock. I will build my church. The gates of what? Of hell will not be strong enough to destroy it. Now, thumb back a few books of the Bible back in the Old Testament to Psalm 24, 7. So lift up your heads, you living gateways. Be lifted up, you doorways of eternity. Welcome the king of glory, for he is about to come through you. Did you catch what scripture just called you? He called you a living gateway. We're not just to hold our post in our areas of influence. We ourselves are living gateways. Take a look at the original Hebrew word of shahar or gate. Yes, it's the gateway to a city, but it can also be used as personification. Some of y'all are like, I didn't learn that in school. I remember the word. I don't know what it means. Kenzie, you got like a song for personification that kids can remember? No? Okay, well, personification. You said you were a teacher. I was just asking. Personification is the attribution of personal nature or human characteristics to something that's non-human or the representation of an abstract quality in human form. Thank you, Google.com. So, for example, you are the gatekeeper of your heart. You are the gatekeeper of your home. You are the gatekeeper of your city. Not only are we called to be gatekeepers at the areas of influence that God has placed us in, we are entrusted to those and the areas of personification, our hearts, our minds, our souls, our families, anything that doesn't have human form. You're tracking with me. You're here with me. I don't see any glossed over eyes, so I think we're good. We're called living gateways. Now, there's three areas, that, three ways that you can operate as a gatekeeper for time. I'm going to hit number one and number three. If you want number two, come find me after service and I'll, I'll preach through that as well. But number one is this, be confident that, that there isn't any place you can go that God doesn't own. Remember last week's message, don't lose your confidence. Listen, you're not trash. You're not your mistake. You're not your sin. See, the world likes to label us by our sin. The, the world likes to label us by our shortcoming. And in fact, the world would say we have to wear it around like the A on our chest so that everyone will know, by the way, I'm a pastor. I'm a sinner. I mess up. I have fallen short time and time and time again. But what I know is this, everyone else in the room has as well. What I also know is this, our sins are forgiven. We're called to, preach on this last week, go back and listen to last week's message. We're not called to dwell in our sin, we're called to turn from our sin. Once we turn from our sin, we are given a God-given confidence that we're called to walk in. Are you walking in your God-given confidence or are you walking in the way that the world tells you you have to walk? What beat are you marching to? 
I choose to, to march to the beat that the Bible calls me, not that the world tries to define me as. As a gatekeeper, if you don't believe that, that you're supposed to be at your area of influence that God has placed you in, then you're going to constantly be unsure of yourself and question your own ability. By the way, God gave you your ability. I said it like this last week. You've probably heard this before. God does not call the qualified. God qualifies the called. Let me give you a biblical truth that's found in Scripture. Didn't make this up. Google it yourself. Here's another thought. Actually, open the Bible and see if it says it. Psalm chapter 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. What's the next few words? Everything and what? Everyone belong to him. Everything and everyone. So when I read the Bible... What it tells me is there's nothing that God doesn't own. He owns it all. Are we in agreement that God owns it all? Go ahead and throw that picture on the screen. Does God own this? Are you sure? Trick question. Does God own this? Does he own everything that's in that? A absolutely everything. Does God own everything that's on this earth? He owns it all. Okay, what about the next picture? Does God own this? Some of y'all are like, I think so. God owns this, right? What about the next picture? Y'all are like, I don't even know what that building is. Does God own it? Are you sure? What about the next picture? Does God own this? Are you, <laughs> are you positive? You're sure? All right, what about the next one? Does God own this? Then where is he? Because... <laughs> But, but God owns this, right? That, that's easy. When God, God owns, what about the next one? Does God own this? Are we positive? If he doesn't, y'all leave right now, all right? Let me ask you this question. Does God own every area of your life? D does he really? Can I step on some toes? If you're a business owner in the room, does God own every area of your business or just the ones that you allow him to? Does God own every area of your, of your family? Does God own every area of your mind? Does God own every area of your heart? Let me ask you this. I'm going to step on some toes. Pastor, you go say this in church. Yeah, because I'm preaching the fullness of the Bible. Does God own every area of your bank account? Because the Bible says that we're called to give 10%. Does God really own every area of your life or just the areas that you allow him to own? I've heard it said this way before. I can tell you what you value by where your money goes. Okay, I'll get off that soapbox. Y'all didn't want to shout me down for that one. Okay. What about the next picture? Does God own this? I mean, earlier y'all said that God owned everything. Earlier I asked you the question. The Bible says God owns everything and what? Every one. Y'all ever read scripture and go, huh? And then you go, huh? Does, does God own it? Well, what about the next picture? Does God, own, does God own this? Does God own it all? See, what I know is this. We sound less and less sure. We begin to go, I, I mean, I, I think so. Because I read Psalm 24, verse 1, and, and the Bible says that God owns everyone and, and everything. 
And then you begin to put some realities to that, that statement and you go, hmm. does, does God own everything and everyone? The fact of the matter is God owns it. But he may not be made fully manifest in it. So Zach, what are you, what are you talking about? What's, what's the problem? Here's the problem. We give the devil more credit than he deserves. And we say things like, that's the enemy's territory. There is no such thing as the enemy's territory. You, you know what I know? What I know is this. There is only territory that hasn't been claimed by a gatekeeper, i.e. a Christ follower, i.e. you and me. See, see, some of us, some of us need to start maintaining and, and taking back the areas that the enemy's trying to steal. Because when I read my Bible, God owns everything and every one. What we see in society is that gatekeepers have either abandoned their post or they've just become lazy. Remember those areas of influence. Remember those gates that we have influence over family, education, government, media, arts and entertainment, business, health and wellness. Do, do you hold your ground and stand at your post or have you become lazy? Because when we become lazy, this allows the devil to live as a squatter. The reality of it is the devil does not have the deed. The devil does not have the keys to any of this. As Christ followers, we're called to be gatekeepers. What did the Bible call us? He called us living gateways. Connect the dots yourself. Go back and read it later. Are you maintaining your post or not? See, growing up as a kid, Man, we would ride four-wheelers absolutely everywhere. I lived out in the middle of nowhere, so we would ride four-wheelers all over the place. One thing that we would do, I don't think I can get in trouble for this now, uh, but one thing, what, what's like, there's got to be so much time that passes and you can talk about stuff? Okay, I'm good. Statue of limitations. We're talking like 15 years ago. We're double that. We're good. So we would ride our four-wheelers around to like these neighborhoods that were being built or these buildings that were being renovated. And I, don't, I guess like 15, 20 years ago, they would just leave the houses unlocked. They would be like 90% finished. Anybody ever walk through a house that's like not yours? <laughs> but yeah, we're recording this. I'm just want to, last service, last service, Miss Cynthia was sitting at the back corner. She goes, yeah, I did last week. Like, I won't give her last name because they'll come after you. But we would go through these houses. They'd be like 90% full. And the problem, not the problem, but the cool thing was there was power, there was water, carpet was laid, all, all the appliances were in. They might have like some tape on the walls where they got to touch some stuff up. But, but we would walk, Billy, I promise I've never gone through any of your houses that you renovate like this, all right? I promise I haven't. Uh, but, but we would walk through these houses as if we owned the place. And, and as kids, we would act as if we were living there. In fact, sometimes we would bring our sleeping bags out and like try to stay there all night. We'd bring like a snack. Some of y'all are like, you did that? I'm like, yeah, like I grew up in the South. There was nothing else to do. Like we're out in the middle of nowhere. So that, that's the kind of stuff that we did. Here's the reality. We were squatters. The reality of it is we didn't, we weren't supposed to be there. The reality of it is all, all that needed to happen was for the owner of the home to walk in, kick our tails out, and tell us that we have no place there. Why do we allow the enemy to live in areas of our life that he doesn't belong? And why don't we evict his butt? I almost said something else, else. I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> but why don't we? I'm passionate about this. 
So some of us just need to tell the enemy that he's got to go. He, he, that he's not welcome. This area is in my mind and in my heart and in my soul, that personification area that I have to tell the enemy, he's got to go. He doesn't own business. He doesn't own the government. He doesn't own our family. He's got to go. Zach, are you taking this a little too far? Maybe you're over-spiritualizing this. No, I don't think we spiritualize it enough sometimes. Because we can read in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, that, that there's this war raging in heaven against, against good and evil, but we live as if like that's non-existent. Like we live in this fairy tale world, like there's not a battle for our souls going on. Oh, if I just don't acknowledge it, then I, it's not real, it's not really there. The next point is this. As gatekeepers, we bring heaven to earth. I'll give you a practical example. Anytime you walk into a house and you're the first one there, anytime you walk into a room and you're the first person there, you have a few different rights. One of those does not pertain to this message at all. The other one does. But when you walk into a living room and you grab the remote first, you get to control what's on the TV. You know what I'm saying? The other one is this. When you walk into a room and you're the first person there, you get to control the thermostat. And right before the service, I bumped this thing up just so I could come over here and bump it. How many of y'all been hot during this service? Anybody? Y'all been cold? Well, it's about to get colder. You know why? Because I control the thermostat. So I can bump this thing down and I can hit done. And the AC is going to turn on. I get to control the thermostat. Why? Because I was in here before any of y'all were. And I get, to, I get to set the temperature, temperature to the room. By the way, we get to do this in every area of our life. You get to control the temperature of any room that you walk in as a Christ follower. Matt, what would it look like if you had a, a work meeting and you showed up before everyone else and you paused and you prayed and you set the atmosphere for the room? Right? But what if you showed up before anybody was even there? Tyler, what would it look like if you had a, a work meeting and y'all were going to meet in the conference room at, at 2 p.m. and you showed up at like 1.40 and nobody was in there and you began to pray and set the temperature? Why? Because you're the gatekeeper. Mackenzie, you're a teacher. You're in the room before the kids are. What would it look like if you showed up just a few minutes earlier and prayed and set the temperature and the atmosphere of the room? What would it look like if you showed up to the football field a few minutes early before practice and you prayed and you set the temperature for the room? Whoa, whoa. you start a new job. Got to go to trade shows. What if you just kind of walked through the trade show before it kind of got going and you began to walk around and you began to pray? I'm not saying you got to be weird about it, but you just, I'm saying you splash an anointing oil on everything you can. But, but what would it look like if you walked around and you prayed begin to set the atmosphere what, what, would, what would change Brian what would, what would show up if you showed up on Sunday for everybody else or you showed up at the garage during the week and you began to pray and you began to set the atmosphere what would shift what would change by the way the same power and presence that we experience on Sunday morning can go to your workplace 
the same power and presence that we experience on Sunday morning can, can show up in the boardroom. Well, that's not its place. Why? He owns everything. By the way, the same power and presence that we experience on Sunday morning can show up at a football game. It can show up on Sunday. It can show up in the classroom. It can show up at a business deal. What if? What if you got this business deal that you've been, you've been working on so hard? Like you, you need to close this sale. And you got the call at 2.30 p.m. And you're dreading the call because it's, it's a make it or break it. What would happen at 2.15 if you paused and you prayed and you just set the atmosphere? Close the deal or not, God's still in control. I'm not saying you're acting as if God is some kind of genie and going to work everything out. I'm saying that you lean into the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit and you trust that he is who he says he is and he's in control regardless of what happens. We have the opportunity to set the atmosphere. Gone through hard seasons in my life. Gone through times that, that I've doubted myself, that people's doubted me. And people, hey, Zach, how, how do you have so much peace? Because I get to set the thermostat. I can believe I am who God calls me, that I am a gatekeeper, that I'm a living gateway, that I'm an heir to the throne, that I'm a son of the most high God, or I can believe what the world calls me. We listen to the world and the nonsense too much. Tell the devil he's got to go. Evict him. Evict him out of your thoughts. Evict him out of your heart. Evict him out of the air. Maybe you're dealing with, uh, maybe you're dealing with some gossip at work. M maybe you're dealing with some discord at work. Maybe you're dealing with depression in your own life. Maybe you're dealing with anxiety. What if you paused, you prayed, you set the temperature, and tell the devil he's got to go? There's been times in my life that I got to tell the enemy that he's got to go and people don't understand. Zach, how do you have joy in your life? Because I already told the devil he's got to go. You might not see it yet, but guess what? I feel it. I believe it because I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Tyler, how can you show it to your, your colleague? How can you show it to work? Like, it's stressful. We're dealing in finance. We're dealing in business and, and all these numbers and, and Q1 and Q2 and, and end of quarter. And, and how do you have so much peace? Because I've already evicted the devil. He got to go. Billy, you start talking to some of your friends and, and that you've done business with in the past. And Billy, how do you have so much peace in, in all the areas of, of influence and business deals that you do? Because I told the enemy he got to go. And, and I know God's in control. Like, what, what if? What, what if? What if you told the devil he's got to go? What if you're on the tennis court and you're coaching? Parent comes up to you and says, man, how do you, how do you have so much joy when you're coaching, coaching youth and, and college age and adults? How, how do you have so much joy? Because I've already told the devil he's got to go. And so when I'm at work, I'm just operating in the power and the presence that the Holy Spirit has already given me. So two too often we give the enemy more credit than he deserves. I just want to tell the enemy that he's got to go. Zach, are you taking it too far? Nah. Psalm 24, verse 7. So wake up, you living gateways. Lift your heads, you doorways of eternity, and welcome the King of glory. I know I've gone a little over a little bit this morning, but, but man, I'm not going to rush the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to rush this service. You are a gatekeeper to your heart. You are a gatekeeper to your soul. You are a gatekeeper to your home. It is our God-given call to bring heaven to earth. 
Again, your office has the potential to be filled with the same presence of God that we experience on Sunday morning. The classroom, the football field, the boardroom, I don't care where you find yourself. It has the same it has the same principle that it can be filled with the presence of God if we allow it. We're called to walk into the room, walk over to the thermostat and set the temperature. The first thing that we see in that scripture, just two things and we're done. The first thing you see in that scripture is we're called to wake up. Go back to Ezra and Nehemiah, what happened? Ezra records in Ezra chapter 2, verse 42, that 139 gatekeepers made the trip from captivity from Babylon to Jerusalem. Go, go, you can go read it yourself. Ezra chapter 2, verse 42. 139 gatekeepers. So there were gatekeepers in Jerusalem. The problem is they weren't doing their job. That's why Nehemiah's heart was broken. They came to Jerusalem. Now here's the caveat. They had been in captivity, in bondage for 70 years. So they didn't even know how to be a gatekeeper. I think we see that in our church, in the global church as a whole. Because apparently the gatekeepers, they just weren't doing their job. So, so some of us, how do we correlate that? Some of us don't even realize that we're sitting at the gate of influence that God has placed us in. It's not that we're just not doing our job. It's that we don't know what we're called to do. That's what today's message is about. We evict the enemy and we welcome in the presence of God. If you don't take anything else from today's service, you evict the enemy and you welcome in the presence of God. What do you mean welcome in the presence of God? Well, read, read that verse. So wake up you living gateways, lift up your heads. That means your head at some point was down. Lift up your head. Regardless of the season, regardless of the situation, regardless of what you walk through, lift up your head, you living gateways, you doorways of eternity, and what? Welcome the King of glory. So you wake up, and then you welcome. You wake up, you evict, and then you welcome. What do you mean, welcome? How do you welcome in the King of glory? I think it's interesting that the Bible says that we as, as finite humans are called to welcome in the glory of God. You ever been, you ever been invited over to somebody's house as, a, as like a plus one? Don't feel like you belong there. This past Thursday, Pat Morton, he was in first service. He shot me a text. He goes, hey, there's a group of guys watching football tonight, Thursday night football. Why don't you come over to Andrew's house and hang out with us. And I text him back and I was like, man, I'll think about it. Why? Because I didn't want to be Pat Morton's plus one. I didn't want to just show up at the house and be like, hey guys, like I'm here because Pat invited me. A couple minutes later, Andrew Finnegan invited me. Andrew was the homeowner. He said, hey, Zach, we're watching football tonight at the house. Why don't you come over and hang out with the guys? Then I felt like I was welcomed. Then when I walked into the house, it wasn't that Pat invited me. It was that the homeowner invited me and the food that was on the table was for me because I was invited by the person that owns the home, subsequently owns the food. I felt welcomed. See, we can be Christ followers and we can, we can operate in the areas of influence. We can have a job title and, and we can have the, the seat at the table as, as the business owner or what have you. But are you actively welcoming in the Holy Spirit into that situation? 
Because I promise you the atmosphere will shift. The challenges will change. You will have a different perspective when you welcome in the King of glory. When you welcome in the Holy Spirit and the power and the presence that not only dwells in you, but that's supposed to flow through you. How will your life change? If you took serious your area of influence and you took the fire and the power and the passion that you experience on Sunday morning to the gates of the city. So all across this room, if we begin to stand with every head bowed and every eye closed, this is what we're gonna do. Wake up, you living gateways. Wake up. And after you wake up, you evict the enemy. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would say, Pastor Zach, there's some areas of my life that I need to evict the enemy out of. I want you to just slip up your hand. I'm going to pray for you. Say, Pastor, there's just some areas the enemy, the enemy has a stronghold. The enemy is controlling the gate. God, you see the hands. Enemy, we say that you have no place. Devil, you have no right. Devil, you don't have the deed. Devil, you don't have the keys. You have to leave. You have to leave right now in the power and the presence and in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Savior. You have no place in the boardroom. You have no place in the classroom. You have no place in business. You have no place in entertainment. You have no place in our life. Depression, you have to go. Anxiety, you have to go. Fear, you have to go. We evict you right now in the name of Jesus. With every head still bowed and every eye still closed, after you evict, you welcome. So maybe you would say, Holy Spirit, I need to to welcome you back into my life. I need to welcome you into every area of my life, every area. I want you to begin to lift up your hand if that's you. If you say, I just need to welcome in the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit is not a thing. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you into our life right now. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into the thoughts in our mind. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into the dark caverns of our heart and of our soul. There is no such thing as darkness. There's only the absence of light. And so when you welcome in the Holy Spirit into your life, you're welcoming in the light and the power and the presence of God into every every area of your being. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you in. Holy Spirit, we welcome you.